Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. I'm Diane Williams, and you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Today in the studio along with me is Dr. London Branch, and he's brought a guest with him, Daniel Parker. We'll be talking to them about music. It's all about music. But first, I'd like to welcome myself back to the radio show. I've been away for a little while, and I'm glad to be back. I've met many of you around the state, and you've asked about it. Well, I'm back. And if you'd like to be a guest, please contact me at the Mississippi Arts Commission. Before we begin the show, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about what's going on at the Arts Commission, what's close and dear to my heart. Right now, it's grant time. May 1st, we opened up the opportunity for individual artists and organizations to apply for what we call a mini-grant. Those are small grants. They have specific purposes. If you're an organization, you can apply for up to $1,000. Our grants are dollar for dollar match. The deadline for applying is June 1st. What can you do with that $1,000? Well, I'll tell you. You can take your board and staff to a conference for professional development training. You can hire a consultant or we would greatly enjoy it if you'd hire one of the artists on our roster or on another state's artist roster. And yes, we do reciprocate what other state rosters are doing. So sometimes there are questions. Well, the person has been adjudicated. It has to be a very high adjudication, and it should be a roster, preferably another state arts agency's roster. For individual artists, there is an opportunity to apply for a $500 mini-grant as an, a reimbursable expense. It has the same deadline. You don't have to pay the money back. You don't have to match the grant. But we like to support emerging artists, artists who need professional development training, artists who need to enhance their marketing and promotional materials or to purchase supplies. So please contact our office if you're a first-time applicant. If you apply before, individual artists know that you're eligible for one mini-grant per year. We offer the opportunity twice a year, and right now the deadline's June 1st. All applicants must apply online. And so because we do support individual artists and arts organizations, I want to get back to my guest for today, Dr. London Branch. I've known about him probably most of the time that I've been in the state of Mississippi. I think we probably came to the state pretty close to the same time. I think I came in 1986. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Dr. Branch comes to us. Are you originally from Mississippi? No. no. Uh, where are you from? I'm originally from Illinois. Okay. Um, I've been around different places. I've taught it in, in different states. Uh, before I came here, immediately before I came here, I was teaching at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. And I'd been there for five years, and things were going well. I always, and I don't want this to sound, uh, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression, but I always wanted to work at an HBCU. And uh, I didn't attend one. Dr. James, who was the chair of the music department, and I had become friends. 
uh, at meetings and that kind of thing. And when this vacancy came up, he called me and asked me if I was interested. And I went right to my chair and resigned and uh, came here, and that's been about 36 years ago. So I've stayed in Mississippi longer than I did anywhere, longer than I stayed at home. And I left home when I was 18, never lived there again. I went to visit, but I never lived there again. During my generation, when you were 18, you were grown. You expected to be able to take care of yourself. And anything else that you had, if you had a family, you expected to be able to take care of them. So you were pretty much on your own. Uh, but um, I've been, as I said, other places, and I came here because I wanted to teach at Jackson State, and I, I obviously have been pleased here because I've been here so long. That's right. That's right. You said HBCU, and for those that don't know, HBCU is Historic Black College or University. Yes. Yes. So, and you've been at Jackson State all of these years. Yes, that's right. What was life like in Chicago? I, well, Chicago was a great place when I was growing up because there was music everywhere. Every corner bar had a band, and you could hear music everywhere. My father died when I was five. My father was a Baptist preacher who pastored a Greater Union Baptist Church in Chicago. I had my mother's brother, oldest brother, who was right under her, uh, sort of took me under his wing. And uh, he was very much into music, and sometimes we'd catch the bus. I wouldn't have any idea, and I was just a teenager. I wouldn't have any idea where we'd be going. We'd end up uh, at a club uh, or someplace where we could hear music. And I remember hearing Amma Jamal and uh, people like that uh, when I was just a teenager, 14, 15 years old. And uh, I remember when we went to hear Amma Jamal, we got to the door, and the fellow who was working on the door collecting the fare asked, how old is he? And my uncle said, 35. He just fell out laughing. He took the fare and said, you guys disappear in the corner somewhere. But I got a chance to go in. I got a chance to hear those guys. And uh, I was blessed like that all of my life because that, that, there was so much great music in Chicago. So many great stars were there. And I think I read that your family encouraged you to listen to live music. How important is live music for us today? I think it's very important. I think young people need to see that music does not come from a machine. It comes from people, human beings. And that if they are willing to work hard, they can accomplish the same things that the people that they're watching or listening to have accomplished. And that's one of the reasons that I did a lot of the things that I've done over the years. I wanted young people to see that here's a person right there in the neighborhood uh, who's playing music, and you can play music too if you want. So uh, in addition to working with college kids, young people, adults, young adults, I've, I've often worked with younger kids, and I had a group of about 20 that I worked with here in Jackson, and they're now 14, 15, but they're all doing well. But the important thing is not 
just that they're doing well in music. They're doing well academically, too. All of them are doing well academically. I wonder how those two things tie in together, music and doing well academically. They do. Tell well, us about I think, that. I think once you learn to pay attention to details in music, it becomes a part of what you do. And so in your other studies, our students' other studies, they pay attention to fine details the same way they did music. Uh, the kind of determination that it takes to play music well uh, is something that you learn. You're not born doing it. And I remember having this conversation with myself years ago about, will somebody else do it or will you do it? If it's your job, you shouldn't expect anybody else to do it. You do it. And uh, there are many things that, that, that we encounter in, in life that are important things that won't get done if we don't do them. So I think playing music teaches that kind of discipline and, and the kind of, uh, what, uh, encouragement is not the right word, but uh, people are encouraged to do things that they might not otherwise do. Hmm? Music uh, impacts our character as well. And I found a quote where you said music civilizes us. Talk about that a little hmm. bit. I've been in situations where the people I was working with were tough, rough thugs, and introducing them to music changed their whole lives. And it didn't just change it for the time I was working with them. It changed it forever. I can think of people who probably would never have thought about going to college, but because of music, because music was introduced to them, they found something that they could really get into, and if they worked at it, they could become good at it, better than they were as thugs. Um, those I've seen those lives transformed. Those lives changed. I've seen those people go to college. As a matter of fact, my first teaching job was at a reform school. Many people don't know what a reform school is. That's a school for wayward young men up to age 18. When I went there to work, I didn't think I'd be there long because of uh, the kinds of students that were there. I stayed there five years. Mm. But I worked with some tough kids who were there for murder, all kinds of things. Music changed their lives. It changed their behavior while they were there. It changed their lives. That's amazing. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Diane Williams, your host for today. And we just listened to a little bit of music. It was Howard Jones Jazz. Howard Jones was a local musician in the Jackson, Mississippi area. He died just a few short years ago. But I remember him with a horn in his hand everywhere he went, and it was always good to see him playing along with Dr. London Branch. Mm -hmm. So how was your experience working with him? Well, Howard was one of my best friends. And uh, it's interesting, his name was Howard. My blood brother's name was Howard. And as soon as Howard Jones and I met years ago, 
he said, you're my brother. And so we've had that kind of relationship for 30-some years. Uh, it was always fun working with Howard because Howard was always upbeat. He was I never saw him when he was down, even when he was in the hospital, and I called him. He didn't know he was sick. I called him and I asked him, how you doing, Howard? He said, and I didn't know he was in the hospital. I thought he was at home. He said, well, I'm in the hospital. I said, what's the trouble? He said, well, they say I'm dehydrated. I'll, pra- I'll probably go home tomorrow. Well, he didn't, and uh, he didn't live very long after that. Um, but it was always fun working with Howard. He played the same way. Uh, his personality was, was that upbeat personality. He played the same way. Always upbeat. Yeah. I always thought of Louis Armstrong. I don't know why when I... Well, he he had he, he tried to sing like Louis Armstrong. Yes. yes. And uh, he, he had that... I don't know how he developed that gravel voice. I can't do it. It hurts my throat. <laughs> but uh, he loved Louis Armstrong. He called him the great man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was on the Mississippi Arts Commission's artist roster, so we had an opportunity to enjoy the work that he was doing over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about something that you strongly believe in. First, let me say, I know you as an educator, a writer, conductor, arranger, performer, instructor, and mentor. And I'd like, I'll get back to some of those things mm-hmm. that are indigenous to your character, but I, I want to talk about the instructing and mentoring because we have a guest in the studio, mm-hmm. Daniel Parker, and I want to lead into opening the, the floor and the conversation mm-hmm. to include him. Mm-hmm. But even to this day, I know you to work with, I know that you work with young people. Yes. And evidently that's very important to you because I think, and, and I don't know how I know this, but I think I've met many of the uh, students. I've met some of your students yes. performing out in the community. And um, I want to talk about what that means to you, what it means to them. Uh, I read a quote that says, uh, from you, we share knowledge. You said, I don't know it all. I just know what I know and I share that with other people. But let's talk about that impact for our young people today and bring Daniel into this conversation. Well, I I think someone has to work with our young people who wants to work with them, not somebody who can get a job doing something else so they find themselves having to work with young people, but somebody who wants to work with young people, who enjoys that, who uh, doesn't mind taking the time, however much time it requires, to see to it that they understand what you're saying to them. Now, I've criticized because I've teachers say I've, I've spoiled all the young people that I work with because I give them as much time as they need. And if somebody comes and needs a two-hour lesson, that's what they get. Uh, and if somebody just comes and needs to talk, that's what we do. And I have students who will talk to me about things they won't talk to their parents about. So I think a teacher has to be many things, and uh, but a teacher has to be committed. If a teacher is going to be successful, and uh, successful, what does that mean? Uh, it means that I guess you do what you do fairly well. The success is not so much for the teacher but for the students. 
So um, I, I think that a person, a, a teacher is like a minister. A minister is called, or we say in the black community, that a minister is called. You don't decide you want to be a minister. I think that'd be a good business for me to go into. I think I'll be a preacher. We believe that ministers are called by God. And uh, I believe that teaching is the same way. I think the greatest teachers that I've known have been called. They've been people who couldn't have done anything else as well as they taught. Now, they could have done many other things because they were bright people. But teaching was what they did. It was a calling. They were extremely good at it. Hmm? You know, you're known in the community to be a master artist. And my definition of a master artist is, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not someone that's been practicing for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Usually a master artist has about 25 years or more experience under their belt because they are able throughout those years to see all the nuances and go through all the trials and tribulations and make all the mistakes and come to a certain point in their life. They're not finished, but they come to that certain point. So you're known in the community as mm -hmm. a master artist. Therefore, um, you have somewhat of a legacy as you work with these young people in a legacy in my opinion, is something you pass on to the next yes. generations. So I could ask you all about that impact and what mm -hmm. that means to young people, but I think it's fabulous that we have Daniel Parker in the studio mm -hmm. with us who drove down here yes. from Memphis. That speaks a lot yes. to the impact you've made on his mm -hmm. life. Daniel, welcome to the studio. Thank you for having me. So, what made you drive down? Is it just because Dr. Branch asked you? Yes, he, he's one of the most influential people that I've ran into and met and been able to work with over the past however so many years that I've known mm -hmm. him in my life. And it's, it's, it's been a pleasure to, to have seen and hear the stories and hear the tales and, and know that it's possible for a young African-American male, especially to be able to make it as a, as an educator that uh, at that level, at a university level, which is really one of my goals to be able to do is be able to uh, teach uh, as a professor. And that's, it's just, it's great to be able to mm -hmm. see that actually happening um, with, okay. Yeah. Where did the two of you meet? Was it U Symphony? Was it, yes, that, yeah, that's I right. Think, I think so. I think Mississippi U Symphony mm -hmm. here in Jackson. And your instrument? It's violin. Violin. How long have you been playing? Ever since I can remember, honestly. Um, I don't really remember a days when I didn't have a violin in my hand, but um, it's always been there. And it's always been something that I love doing. Okay. And so you were in the Youth Symphony, and Dr. Branch, what was he? Was he conductor or manager? That was so long ago. I was, trying to... I was just around. <laughs> <laughs> I've done everything with the Youth Symphony, from conducted to fundraise for it. I've, I've done everything, and I've enjoyed all that time because it, 
it, it has given me an opportunity to, to show young people that if you're committed to something, you jump in 100%. You don't stick your toe in. You jump in 100% and you do whatever you have to do. Now, I don't want to take the whole day from Daniel because I get started talking. Go ahead, Daniel, if you have some <laughs> things you'd like to say. So what are you doing up there in Memphis? Tell us about your life in Memphis and how it includes music. Well, I am a, a grad assistant or master's student at University of Memphis. Um, I, I just completed my first year as my master's. And I've, I've been there quite a while now. It's been about five, maybe six years. I transferred from University of Louisville and um I loved it there. I loved it there at Louisville. I loved it there in Memphis. I, I just music has really just taken my life to different cities, different states, different. I've been blessed to be able to go outside of the country and study abroad at with University of Memphis to um, Austria, uh, Germany, and Switzerland in 2014. And while at University of Memphis, uh, I've been able to study under really great instructors and one of which will be coming back. So I have to drive back to Memphis to work and also go see my te- my former, one of my former teachers perform on Sunday, too. So, Okay. Okay. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, and I was just talking to Daniel Parker. He is one of the students, of former students, of Dr. London Branch, who's our guest in the studio today. So we're glad to have you here. And, you know, the violin is not an instrument you see a, a robust young man playing every day. So um, what are you doing with your instrument out in the community? Are you playing in the community or for church? Or I do. I do. I play. Um, I'm a member at um, the word, the church, all of a sudden escapes me for a minute. But Anderson United Methodist Church It's my church home that I've been home to for for a very long time. Here and in Jackson. Here in Jackson. Okay. And um, while I'm here, I, I like to go and speak with my pastor. And if he needs me to play or if I, I, I'm always eager to play everywhere I go, I'm, I have my violin with me. I might be in a barber shop with my violin in my hand and, and mm-hmm. you know, the people want me to play and I'll, I'll play. So it, it's just whoever, wherever my calling is, I, I, I try to be there to be able to help others and inspire other people um just recently i was playing uh doing something different my violin i was doing jazz and and um my teacher uh told me that i've i've been inspiring other students in my studio to take their instruments and and be as free as that and, and play and be not be afraid to go and play other different genres and also classical music too. It's just been uh, it's been a blessing to be able to see um, early on in my career um, the effects of the teachings that brings that I have to that have been instilled in me to be able to give back as much as I can. 
That's great. That's great. We have a local artist in the Madison County area named Lydia Bain. Her mother's been a teacher of music for many years. Anyway, she plays violin, and she performs often with Nellie McGinnis and groups like that, playing jazz, uh, blues, and those kinds of things. And it's just uh, different to see her on the stage, cool as can be, with that violin, Nellie on acoustic bass, and then other musicians as well. But it, the violin is becoming, you know, more, ever so popular, mixing with various other genres of music. And that that's sort of good to see. And you often will hear different instrumentation now with spoken word. Have you done anything like that? I've, in Memphis, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to uh, play in different um, settings. And a couple years ago or up until actually this semester, I've been playing with a band and they would have a spoken, uh, somebody do spoken word, they have somebody sing and on various acts. And it's been eye-opening just to, to be cross-breed in, in, in different uh, areas of, of art, really. And, um, you know, I had, I had a friend who paints and she wanted me to to play something that that kind of signifies something that are her something that she's painted before and 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 by creating music really and that's something that I do on my side time is is uh make uh different songs and with the studio equipment that I have in my in my home and i i i you know put it up on SoundCloud and just to enjoy listen to it myself as much as have others listen and enjoy it too so you're writing music as well and you're classically trained i'm going to assume yes ma'am classically trained welcome back to the mississippi arts hour i'm diane williams your host for today and sometimes you'll tune in and our director at the mississippi arts commission malcolm white will be the host on the show or our deputy director larry morrissey will be host on the show. And we used to have another host, which was Turi Fluker. And he's um, not with the Arts Commission at this time, but we dearly miss him and miss him on the radio. And so maybe somewhere along the line, you'll get to hear him again. But in the studio with me today is Dr. London Branch. He's a master musician, writer, conductor, arranger, performer, instructor, and mentor and educator. And I know... That's a lot. And I, I can, I'm looking, you can't see his face, but I'm looking at his face. So I will ask Dr. Branch, how would you describe yourself? A music lover, uh, a lover of young people, uh, one who is called to share his knowledge with other people, especially with young people. I think that's a good description. That's a good mm-hmm. description. When you first came to Mississippi in 1984, I believe. That's correct. And you started working at Jackson State University. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, it has been said that you helped to build the symphonic program that they have. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. That's what I was hired to do, to build an orchestra at Jackson State. Um it was difficult because there was no budget for it. So I ran the orchestra out of my pocket for many years. 
I paid for all of my recruiting trips, and I made many trips, recruiting trips. But I knew that if I was going to have an orchestra, I was going to have to find people to play in it. And I wasn't going to get them all from Jackson. Might get one from Jackson. But I, every year, I went to Birmingham at least four times, two times in the fall, two times in the spring. Went to Atlanta, uh, DeKalb County. I went to St. Louis. Um, some of the places I'm talking about are places that I knew people, knew teachers, they knew me, and I needed to go there to let them know what we were doing at Jackson State. And um, I couldn't have built a program without the help of friends. A friend of mine who taught at the University of Minnesota called me one day and said, London, you need to hear this cello player. I said, that's interesting. Why you? I would think you'd want to keep that cello player there. I want you to hear her. I said, have her send me a tape. She sent me a tape, and I called her and invited her to come. She came. And when she got there, we were talking one day, and she said, you know, my best friend is a viola player, and she's not in college. And she graduated from high school, and she's just kind of working, not, not in college. So we called her best friend, talked to her. She came the next semester, and they both came and stayed and graduated. Um, but friends did things like that. There was no orchestra library when I got there. A friend of mine from another university in the East, called me and said, we don't have an orchestra anymore. said, I've got all this music. You can have any of it you want. I said, box it all up and send it to me. And that's what he did. And I'm, I'm talking about complete uh, parts for an orchestra with scores and everything, major works. And a friend who is no longer with us in the area, told me the same thing. said, we don't have an orchestra, and I've got this orchestra music. You can have any of it you want. So I went and got it, got it all. So that's how we started to build the library. Um, friends, I, I taught in St. Louis for two years, uh, and... Uh, I knew a lot of the teachers there, and once they found out where I was and what I was doing, uh, I made a trip up there, told them what we were looking for. They would call me to tell me students that they had. And uh, so I got some very good students out of the St. Louis area. Um, but that's how I built the program, and every year, I would go somewhere, I would go to certain places recruiting every year. St. Louis was one of them, Atlanta, the Atlanta area, um, Birmingham, Shreveport, places like that where they have string programs. And uh, you've got to have string strings if you're going to have a, an orchestra. I'm not sure how you entice people to come to Mississippi, but you were able to do it. Yes. And and tell me a little bit more about this library. How is it used, the library well, of music? This, uh, uh, a music? A music library is a library of music. So 
it was my desire to have all of the Beethoven symphonies, all of the Tchaikovsky symphonies, all of the Brahms symphonies, all of the major works by these composers. Not just the symphonies, but other things too. But it, that was my desire to have those things. And when I left there, we had most of those things. Um, I had to get a little money here, a little money there. The first year I was here, I uh, I sent letters out to friends of mine. About I sent about a hundred letters out, and asked them to send me a hundred dollars, not hundred dollars, twenty dollars. I'm sorry, twenty dollars for the orchestra. And I raised about two thousand dollars that year. And uh, there were other ways. We always played for the homecoming coronation, and. That wasn't in our budget. That was in another budget, student activities. And they had money in the student activities budget. So I would ask them. I said, okay, we'll play for you. But I want you to buy this piece of music for us. And they would do it. And that went on for the 20 years I was there full time. Every year. Uh, and that's, when you think about that, that's 20 pieces of music. So this music is available on the campus of Jackson State for the students to experience and learn from. Yes. The, the orchestra members use it every year. Yes. Um, this spring, our principal bassoonist in the orchestra is a graduating senior, and he was working on the Mozart uh, bassoon concerto. So I said, why don't you do that with the orchestra? So we had that in our library. So we pulled it out, passed it out. So on our concert, our spring concert, we did the Mozart bassoon concerto, all, all four movements. And uh, we also did the William Grant Still Fourth Symphony, and I had that in the library too. I have that entire collection. Yes, yes. So the, the every every university would like to have a great orchestra library. Everyone that has an orchestra would love to have a great orchestra library. And it takes a while to build it up, but it's not impossible. When I came here, that was not a library at all. It was just mm -hmm. uh, it was nothing. What about your personal library, your personal stash of music? Uh, well, I'm a trumpet player and a bass player, and I have a file cabinet in my office at home. Um, the top drawer has bass music in it, and it's about it's full. I have pieces in there you probably won't find anywhere else um, because I've collected music, sometimes unusual things. When I lived in St. Louis, the people in the music stores knew what I was looking for after a while, and they would call me when they got things in, unusual things. So I built it that way, and I've met some of the composers, and they've given me original works, autographed. Oh, my. Yes. So I've been, I think, really blessed in that way. <laughs> so um, I have that library, and then I have a base. Uh, the second, cabinet, second uh, drawer is full of bass music. Now, I don't play classical music much anymore. I don't play much of anything. I've had some health issues, so I, I sort of stopped playing for the last couple of years. Um, one of my colleagues 
uh, at the university who teaches trumpet. I invited him over to take a look at the library, say whatever you want, and there you can have. So he cleaned me out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. I'm the host for today's show. I'm Diane Williams. In the studio with me is a local artist, Dr. London Branch, an educator, by the way, and Daniel Parker, who lives in Memphis, going to school in Memphis right now. And uh, what about your personal library, Daniel? Wow. Well, I have two personal libraries, one here in Jackson and one in Memphis. And the one in Memphis is just a crate full of music that I have accumulated over the past five years or so. And uh, going back to uh, when I was in Michigan, I studied at Interlochen Arts Academy. And I remember uh, being days we walk into the music library and they'll have stacks of music just to be given just given out for free because it's they they'll come in with new music that that's more updated and they would she would just hand them out and we i would just take etudes and pieces just to look over because i've always hung was hungry to know more and learn and just even if it was just a glance at music that i knew i wouldn't be able to play until later in my career but it was it's yeah so I have there in Memphis, and then I have here in Jackson, where I have mostly just a tutel work works here mm-hmm. that I work on when I'm home. Wonderful, wonderful. Now there's something I like to ask all artists, and I want to hear the voice of the elder and the voice of the young person, and 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 I think this is so important as we look at where we've come from with music, where we are now, someone somewhere has to be a trendsetter or, or able to look at what we hope the trends will be. Or do you can you forecast based on what you see? Let's just talk about trends as it relates to music. What are your thoughts, gentlemen? Well, and and in pop music, of course, the trends change frequently. Uh, a lot of the hip-hop artists do a lot of sampling. Uh, they sample classical things. They sample jazz, and you hear all kinds of things on their recordings, uh, which is another good reason for people to learn to play string instruments because they're going to get sampled if they're good at it. Um uh, It's difficult to predict what the trends are going to be I remember when hip-hop was getting started, people said, oh, it won't last any time. But they've said that about just about every trend that comes along. So um, hip-hop is still around. It's evolving. And uh, we don't know what it will eventually become or what will be the next trend. We just simply don't know. My thoughts on that are to be as well prepared as a musician to play a variety of styles and genres so that you can you can fit in, you know, uh, as they say, you can get in where you fit in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and Daniel, what are your thoughts about that? I know that's a big question. Yes, that's, that's a very big question. I think it's 
it's very it's something to say about being prepared. Um, and you never know where the next five, ten years where music will be. Um, so in my experience that my brief experience that I've had, uh, is just to always be flexible and being able to accommodate uh wherever the needs uh of of what people want to listen to, what people want to hear. And also be an innovator and create your own unique style of music um, and your voice, really. It's, it really comes down to is having also your voice and being able to be flexible. So uh, that's that's kind of my take on... Yeah. Being flexible is really important, keeping an open mind, yeah. being willing to try things. You may not even like it. doesn't matter whether you like it or not. Uh, the important thing is if you're going to be a professional musician, that you be prepared to handle many different styles. Things that you may not like doesn't matter. As far as I'm concerned, that doesn't matter at all. You know, at the Mississippi Arts Commission, we just finished <laughs> adjudicating uh, composition, music composition, and we alternate years. Next year, we'll look at the music itself, music performance. And artistic excellence is is high on our list as it relates to originality, a keen sense of technique and process, and technical mastery of the art form. If you could give me one sentence about your thought of how you're going to work or how you have worked in developing a signature style with your instrument. Daniel? I think being um, creative and having my own music that I create has helped me to have my own voice in my other, in other genres, and even classical music when I do. So creating, yeah. you know, spending some time uh, uh, mellowing in it and creating. What about you, Dr. Branch? Well, my background, as you know, is, is jazz and classical. So uh, I think that I have to, again, keep an open mind, but I have to be technically prepared to do whatever I decide it is that I want to do. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us today on the Mississippi Arts Hour, Dr. London Branch and Daniel Parker.